You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. On a jam-packed episode of Woo Pod Sui, Bobby Portis tears it up for the Knicks while Brandon Allen gets his first NFL start this Sunday. This soccer team continues their reign of terror on the SEC. We go point-counterpoint on if Chad Moore should be fired. And we discover how Brett Bielema takes his milkshakes. All that and much more on a new episode of Pod Sui right now. Number five, you better look at him a little closer. He's a football player. It's Arkansas, baby. Welcome back to Woo Pod Sui, the official podcast of Arkansas Fight. I'm Tucker Partridge, your host. My co-host is Saul Malone. Say hello to the people, Saul. How we doing, everybody? Glad to be here. We are glad to be here because we are reporting live from a fake news station. Fake. I don't know if you guys have seen our Twitter mentions. We are fake news. You see, I made the mistake of posting a satire article on Arkansas Fight with the headline, University of Arkansas announces $160 million stadium reduction. Which and I might add also just some of the worst Microsoft Office paint job Photoshop of a stadium I've ever seen. I would say best, but... Worst best. Um, that has resulted in our mentions being filled with people enjoying the article for the most part, but we have gotten just a couple of real zingers. We had people that had some hot takes on our poking fun at the hometown team. So I would like to read off this tweet to get us started and get us in the mood. Uh, Folks, please feel free to send us these kind of tweets that keep us humble. I think that we really need to be checked sometimes. So yeah. to start off the hour, Arkansas fight, you are a disgrace. During these struggling times, you promote hashtag fake news just to get a few clicks and a laugh at the expense of Razorback football. Hashtag not funny. I think that's just the through line of this site and this podcast. Hashtag yeah. not funny. Hashtag not funny. So if you could just rectify that on air and just say out loud, hey, this is a satire. I will not. You're going to double down? <laughs> I am doubling down. In fact, you can find me at your nearest void station, <laughs> which you can find in newly reduced Donald W. Reynolds Razorback Stadium. I'm just going to write an article next week that just says, Arkansas to do away with football program entirely. Fayetteville rejoices and just see what happens. Let's just see what happens. Let's just see what happens. But folks, folks, we have got a jam-packed episode for you. We have all kinds of news. We've got more soccer news, and it's good news. We've got Pro Hogs news. We've got football news. 
<laughs> and yeah, so let's get started with the good Arkansas team. I am speaking, of course, of Arkansas soccer, football, if you will. When last we left, they were playing Auburn on the Plains, and they went on to win that game five to nothing. Another shutout for the Lady Hogs. And just absolutely dismantled Auburn. Uh, It was the largest margin of victory for either team in the series since the Razorbacks won the first meeting in 1993, eight to nothing. Which must have been a good night. It was worth noting that after this game, we were outscoring opponents 21 to 2 in the month of October. That's Truly good. A spooky season. Very spooky if you're playing the Hawks because you're about to get your ass ran off the field. Anna Potagil, of course, scoring her 12th goal of the season. She is a freshman and is absolutely lighting the league on fire. Absolutely insane. She got a freaking rocket attached to her leg there. I don't know if you guys, if you haven't seen, there's a clip of her shooting one from essentially half midfield last week uh, and just a top shelf creme de la creme, homie, in the words of T.I. in his seminal hit top back remix. It's just really good stuff. <laughs> if you have not had a chance to to find that, I recommend that you do. We've retweeted it. I know it's on our timeline if you need to go find it, but just a really fun team to watch with just a a bunch of studs and they even uh make not wins look good as they would go on to play georgia later that weekend and unfortunately would have to battle for a draw but that draw came with us scoring an equalizer in the 85th minute to make it 1-1 so this team never says die and quite frankly i I don't think I'm upset with the draw considering how the run this team has been on, but it also is sort of, I don't want to say a fluke, but we outshot Georgia 18 to four. Yeah. So feels there like- are going to be days where it just doesn't go in. And I like to think that that won't be a regular thing with this team. Yeah. You know, we, our opportunities were there just sometimes it doesn't happen. And I will say too, just the, the Razorbacks continuing a very nice run of, playing well away from Fayetteville, just kicking butt on away fields. And that's something that is not something that every team can say they do well. And we are just, wherever we go, whether it's home or away, we are, I think, the favorites to win. And that's a cool feeling to have. So go Lady Razorbacks. Keep keep doing it. We have an interview with one of the players. If you would like to hear more, that will be on the second episode of the podcast for those of you who are joining us for the first time now, go check that out to learn more kind of about what they play, how they play. It'll be really fun, really fun interview. Shout out to Jordan Stack for doing that. You can watch them close out the regular season in Tennessee against the Volunteers on Halloween. Spooky night. That will be at 6 p.m. Central in Knoxville. Moving on, we got some pro hog news. Uh, and I'm going to start with one of my favorite hogs of all time, Mr. Bobby Portis. Uh, shout out to Bobby, first of all. Every time I saw that dude on Dixon Street after he signed his first contract with the Bulls, he was just buying anyone who wanted anything, whatever they wanted. It was crazy. He had so much money and was not afraid to spend it. And I will not begrudge him for that because he was doing it 
up on Dixon Street. And if I had the money to do so, I would have been doing that as well. Uh, but that's not the point. Bobby Portis uh, is now a New York Nick and had a little revenge game against his former team, the Chicago Bulls. Now, Bobby was averaging about seven points a game through his first two appearances. He had 14 points total. Tonight, Bobby Portis went for a 28-point, 11-board, two-assist, two-steal line and led the Knicks to a crazy comeback win in Madison Square Garden where there were chants of Bobby Portis. Literally, the garden chanting your name is something that I would, one, never experience, and two, if I were a basketball player, would definitely aspire to. So shout out Bobby Portis, man. Still doing the damn thing. He was one of my favorite players to watch when he was, uh, you know, playing for the men's basketball team. The game where him and Qualls and the put-back dunk against Kentucky is maybe one of my favorite sports memories of all time. So, yeah, I'd love to see Bobby still uh, doing the thing on the court and, and putting up some numbers. Putting him up in the clutch, too. He had 11 of his 28 points in the fourth quarter. So, David Fisdale, their coach, was really excited talking about him after the game. It, I think we might be seeing more Bobby. Coming soon, and that is always a good thing. Always well. I don't know if you saw it too uh, when they won the game when he hit that go ahead three. John McEnroe on the sidelines going nuts, going nuts for Bobby. John McEnroe, big Knicks guy, huge Bobby Fortis fan now. And you know, look at him, look at our guy go, <laughs> Nikola Mirotic in shambles. <laughs> Uh, other pro hog news, Brandon Allen getting the nod uh, against the Browns for the Broncos. Joe Flacco not playing this upcoming Sunday with designated with a neck injury. Uh, curious timing, as many have noted, coming after his postgame comments on Sunday where he essentially ripped the offensive coaching staff a new one regarding their conservative decision-making uh, on the... It's interesting how that neck injury works out that way. Really weird. I mean, to be fair, I... He took some shots, and especially on that last play of the game where they chased him down from the back and took him out. I he t- it did take a shot, so I will say I think there's some credence to an actual injury. Joe Flacco is a little bit on the older side as well. That said, the timing is very curious. Uh, but good news for our guy Brandon Allen. Uh, gonna get him in and get some game experience previously with the Jaguars. Making his first career start. First career start in the NFL. Play, you know, was. Hung around with the Jaguars and then was with the Rams for a little bit and latched on with the Broncos. And glad to see him get a start. I'm, I'm interested to see how he performs. And, you know, from from what I've heard, the way the teams talk about Brandon Allen is he's a solid quarterback, uh, really good in practice, strong fundamentals, and has looked good uh, in pregame stuff. So looking forward to see him in some real live NFL action and, uh, really want to see him do well against a Browns team that is struggling, but does have one of the better defensive secondaries out there, especially now with Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams back. It'd be interesting to see. Uh, kind of made me reminisce a little bit about the career that Brandon Allen had. It was definitely a mercurial career. I feel like very polarizing guy. A lot of people were too hard on him. Way too hard. Probably. Way too hard. I mean, my God, they torched his truck. Um, <laughs> I I had to explain to someone that that happened at my job. And I work for a company that deals, I deal mostly with NFL stuff at my job. But I had to Brag exp- about it. I had to explain to someone that I went to a college where we took the football team so seriously that 
we torched the quarterback of our team's truck, and their response was, how was that motivating? And I said, I don't think it was meant to be motivating. <laughs> it was more of a threat, it felt like. But no one, like everyone thought I was making it up until I had to pull up the... the no, it happened. <laughs> I was like, I, I have, there are newspaper articles. I will gladly show you. But man, he turned it around. 2014 and 2015 were some of the most fun I've had in my time as a Razorback fan, which albeit has been quite miserable overall. But probably my favorite memory of him is after the Texas Bowl in 2014, when we just absolutely demolished Texas 31 to 7. Yeah. He threw two touchdowns and just the image of him walking on the field with the horns down. Oh, it was just beautiful. What about you? Uh, for me, it's got to be uh, the Ole Miss game in 2015. Just an absolutely gutsy performance from Brandon Allen that game. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, he w- just w- went lights out. He was 33 for 45, 442 yards, six touchdowns, uh, which I believe either tied or broke a school record. But I think the play, obviously, besides the Henry Heave, that stands out to me is him just muscling in for that two point conversion. Like he had been and taking a heck like, of a hit just, by the way. He like, he got destroyed. Like I, he like, I was like, Oh, he might be dead, but he, he laid there he, for a little he, bit he, after the play. He did not get up. He threw that, threw that touchdown pass to drew Morgan and then just fought into the end zone for that two point conversion to get us a win, which prevented Ole Miss from going to the conference championship that year. I believe uh, Ole Miss was like right in the thick of it with Alabama as one of the, Last year's that Chad Kelly was at Ole Miss and they were just going crazy. Swag Kelly, y'all. Chad Kelly. And yes. Former Denver Bronco Swag Kelly. Swag Kelly unlocked the swag. Uh yeah. And I just just remember Brandon Allen like getting up after that two point conversion, basically just being carried off the field by his teammates. And I I had definitely respected Brandon Allen. I thought he was a good quarterback and definitely didn't think he deserved all the crap he got at the time. But I was just pumped for that guy after that win. I was like, man, he deserves this. And I am so glad to see people give him a little bit of credit for this very, very good game that he played and like uh, overall just good career that he had at Arkansas. So let's go, Brandon. Let's get you, let's get you a win, huh? On, on Thursday. No, not Thursday. Worth noting Sunday, excuse me. That he has faced kind of an NFL caliber quarterback in his time. Uh, probably my second I don't know. I don't know that I want to say second favorite memory, but one of the best Brandon Allen things that I can remember was the game later that year in 2015 against Mississippi State when he and Dak had this showdown for the ages Yeah, in Fayetteville. He would break his own record and threw seven touchdown passes. Unfortunately, we lost that game, but he has been in a ton of pressure situations. I have no doubt that he will be able to remain level-headed in his time with the Broncos. And so, yeah, shout out Brandon Allen. We will be cheering for you. Worth noting, too, in that Ole Miss game, I just realized this stat, Arkansas in that Ole Miss game gained 605 total yards of offense, which uh, is more than we've gained in our last two games as a team. Uh, which, you know, not that's that's not... a a judgment on either on anyone here. This game went to a, you know, a few several an overtime and it was a whole different thing, but man, remember when Arkansas put up 605 yards of offense in a game? Oh, sweet memories. Sweet memories. Uh, I think that's a great segue into our recap of the Alabama game. Oh uh, yes. Sweet memories. 
Uh, if you will notice on the rundown sheet, I put a little frowny face uh, by, <laughs> by, by the Arkansas versus Bama stat line because uh, I was sad typing it out and, and acknowledging for what it was. But yeah, let's uh, let's dive into some numbers real quick like we do here. You guys give me those sweet, sweet stats. Let me give you the data, baby. Let me get you right to the good stuff. Passing bad exclamation point. I'll say it. <laughs> it wasn't great. Nick Starkle went five for 19 for 58 yards, three interceptions, uh, brutal interceptions. I might my might add there's some where you're like, oh, OK, I get it. I didn't get any of those uh, for an average. I, I This is a stat we usually bring up, but I'm going to bring it up because I think it's going to speak to a larger point, which we'll get to in a second. But yeah, five for 19 for 58 yards, three interceptions, 3.1 yards per attempt and a QBR of 3.8. Now, we all know that John Stephen Jones also played this game sparingly, but he did play. John Stephen Jones passing was six for seven for 49 yards. And I brought up that stat earlier because he averaged seven yards per attempt and had a QBR of 87. Granted, a smaller sample size, but what that does tell us is that when John Stephen Jones was on the field, our attempts through the air was on a deeper level. His QBR was higher, and we were moving the ball better. I don't know if you saw him run a few of those read options. He looked very comfortable running those read options. Uh, and we'll come back to that here in a little bit in the episode, but I just wanted to point that out for posterity right now that smaller sample size, but the ball was moved a little better when John Stephen Jones was under center running the ball. Rakeem Boyd added 12 carries for 50 yards. Devois Whaley went for nine carries and 40 yards. Those two guys were also our leading receivers. Rakeem Boyd getting four catches for 55 yards. Devois Whaley two catches for 24 yards, followed by Cheyenne O'Grady with four catches for 15 yards and Traylon Burks going one catch for 15 yards. Uh, Defense. Yike. Yeah, yeah, just not a ton to write home here about. Obviously, you know, our guys played hard, as hard as they could, but defense gave up 459 total yards. We made sophomore backup quarterback Mac Jones look incredible. He went 18 for 22, 235 yards, three touchdowns. Najee Harris added 86 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Leading receivers for Alabama were Jerry Judy going seven receptions, 103 yards, and two of those touchdowns, while Henry Ruggs third added four receptions for 47 yards and the other touchdown. Uh, you know, these numbers are big and they're gaudy, but they're not surprising. Alabama is Alabama, and we are Arkansas, as we currently are. Um, but they just outplayed us and were better than us in every facet of the game. Uh, there's just no denying it. And I think it makes the loss a little easier to swallow. Like, yeah, I didn't have fun, but I wasn't surprised. It was nothing where I was like, oh, why is this happening to us? Yeah, I feel like, you know, nobody expected to go into Tuscaloosa and beat them at night. Like, nobody expected that. Right. However, I think a lot of the frustration for me came from the fact that we made sure that we were going to lose against oh. Bama and Tuscaloosa. Oh, my goodness. There yeah. were so many stupid turnovers and questionable play calls. And it just all added up to where we made their lives very easy to where they didn't really even have to try in the second half because we were going to help them. Yeah, I know that the first 10 minutes of the game was something I was like, okay, you know, we're kind of here. We're, we're playing, we're doing all right. And then I, I just remember once I realized that Alabama had scored 31 points in the first half and we had lost to Auburn where they scored 33 points in the entire game. 
you know, it was just like, okay, well, this isn't going to go any any better. Uh, I think my favorite stat that a lot of people love to point out was uh, we scored the same amount of touchdowns as Alabama in the second half, which and on paper it's looks good great. That games are kept in one half. You love that, yeah. We both we uh, you know we held Alabama to one touchdown in the second half, and we also scored a touchdown in the second half, which you know was real nice of them. That was very nice. And let it be known, by the way, that nobody scores 50 unanswered points on Arkansas. <laughs> That's not going to happen. You know, we are going to not unanswered, baby. We will answer that call. And I think that our showing definitely boosted some morale because in the SB Nation fan pulse poll, LSU jumped Alabama into the number one spot. So once again, you can't mess with us yeah you know you can't like measure confidence just by pure numbers and rankings we put a dent in alabama and made lsu more scary uh we were not a quality win it should it should be noted that we will be playing lsu and we'll be playing them in death valley that is a conversation for another day but it should be noted that it is happening so yeah, that's Alabama's kind of by the numbers. Um, but let's let's talk a little deeper about what we saw during the game. And I think the thing that we both kind of focused on was how frustrating it was to see John Stephen Jones move the football, whether you know with his legs. You know he scrambled or rushed for fourteen yards. I mean, not great, but you know he was moving down the field. He looked kind of in control of the offense at points. And you know he's a young guy, redshirt freshman. But he was throwing the ball down the field and doing so well. He only had one incompletion, like I said, six of seven. And to see him do well and immediately just get pulled for didn't really seem like a real good reason. I didn't really hear anything afterwards, too, to where it solidified that decision by Morris and his staff. But yeah, it was frustrating to watch a young guy doing well and then just kind of be pulled as the momentum was going. I don't know if you have thoughts on that or if you have some bigger picture things you want to talk about. But to me, that was the thing that was the most frustrating. It just, I need to preface this by saying it is very easy for podcast hosts, for radio hosts, for fans on Twitter to have all the right answers for coaching an SEC team. I get that maybe we're not as informed as others, but it almost just seems like Chad Morris is outthinking himself. Yeah, he's like, like he's playing 40 chess when it's like, we're, we don't need you to do that. And I get, it's against Alabama. We're down big. But if you're moving the ball at the time, John Stephen Jones was average. The offense was averaging eight yards a play when he was in. When he was in, that includes Rakeem Boyd running. Like, that's not just him throwing. Right. And we didn't attempt any really deep passes with him. So, yeah, maybe the offense was a little more conservative, but they immediately pull him when we start driving to put Starkle in to take a long shot. And I just don't understand that because at the end of the day, Bama knows what Starkle's talents are. They know that he has the biggest arm out of our quarterbacks. So if we put him in after having moved the ball, we're probably taking a shot. Well, then he immediately threw an interception. Uh, v- it, just, uh, 
Was it was and, it was it he threw a pick six, correct? I believe. Yes. Yeah. And it just like football's weird. College football especially is weird. And sometimes guys who are undersized, like John Stephen Jones, or haven't necessarily won it in practice, can come out onto the field and do some crazy stuff. And I just don't see the point of at that point with the game being away like it was to just leave him in there. Yeah. Let him, let him make a play. Let him make like, there is, there's no way we win this. And Starkle has already turned the ball over several times. Just let him play. Yeah. He's a wild card. I mean, Alabama hasn't prepared for him. They prepared for, you know, Nick Starkle or Ben Hicks, I'm assuming. And I get it again. He's young guy. Not not the biggest guy on the field, but he was like I said, a wild card where you don't know his skill set. He's a little quicker, he's a little shiftier, he's a little more athletic, uh, and you know, and is making plays, kind of opening up lanes for Raheem because they have to respect that maybe John Stephen Jones might pull in and run a little bit. You know, those read options are something that he can do. So they just kind of mix it up with him, and it gives us a little bit of another dimension against a team that we again know we're not gonna go in and and beat. Like just frankly speaking, so why not get this guy some big game SEC experience? And he seemed to be doing well. It didn't seem like the pressure was getting to him. He didn't look nervous or rattled. He looked confident and poised running this offense. And yeah, I think just the idea that we wanted to chuck it deep with a big arm kind of killed a momentous like drive that we had going. And you know, kind of, I, I, it wasn't that wasn't the game ending pick six, but it no. took away all the momentum that we had that you know John Stephen Jones had given us. Which was frustrating. I think you're right. It was just frustrating to see a guy move the ball and look competent in this offensive system and then just immediately be like, well, let's get you out of there. I also was frustrated by the fact that, or I don't know about frustrated, but intrigued, I guess, as to why we're not doing this. This is the offense that I thought we were getting with Chad Morris. Yeah. The like kind of hurry up, inverted veer, read option, like, Oh, I mean, there like, was a oh, lot of really, really cool stuff going on. There were a lot of motions that were confusing the defense. And that little shovel pass that he did was really interesting. And the swing pass. I mean, they opened those up the are all things that you do when you don't have a great offensive line. Yeah. We don't have a great offensive line, M- much less a great offensive line against Bama. Yeah. So run those kind of plays. They were working. Yeah. Get people in motion, get people confused, give them these different looks, get the ball. Yeah, got the ball out of his hands quickly, which is great. Like let plays like you don't have time to let these deep fade crossing routes or deep, you know, posts and all that stuff develop. Like it's not going to happen. So, yeah, get the ball out of his hands quick. Get these guys in motion. Make a lot of things happen. Like the plays don't have to be complicated. They just have to look complicated and then have a guy that can run these plays where they look, you know, like they may be going crazy, but it's actually just a simple thing. But it looks cool and it gets the ball moving. and and you know, we keep moving down the field and that's right. Like the playbook was open up a little more there. Like it wasn't as, I don't think that Chad has necessarily a conservative offense, but he was doing stuff that kind of lends itself to that left lane hammer down philosophy. That it's it, the kind of stuff I thought we were getting. Yeah. The the stuff that he promised when, you know, and it, and it looked good. Yeah. It, <laughs> like, like, yeah, like it looked good. Like, especially uh, again, I think taking into context this entire game of like Tuscaloosa night game against the number one team, in the country, I guess, no, not anymore. LSU jumped them, but at the time that everyone ranked the team in the country, like, 
we get you're going to do something different. Like at least make it competitive. That's what I wanted. I wanted a competitive game, and it, I felt that was on the table when John Stephen Jones was for the first ten minutes. Yeah, and when and when John Stephen Jones was in there, I felt like okay, we're doing something. And then I had to watch Starkle come in and throw a pick six, and then I had to watch us score one touchdown, which I'll take. But like, this is a very uninspired offense. So, yeah, I it, it's interesting. I guess that like whatever they're looking at in practice is just different from what we see. Yeah. Because I would feel after this, that it's a no brainer that this is the kind of offense we need to run. I mean, my God, after the Kentucky game, we can attest that option tricks people. It confuses people and a lesser talented team can win running some of this stuff. Absolutely. We're a lesser talented team. We, Let's run this stuff. We certainly fit that category. Uh, yeah, and we we don't. There's no. There's no easy teams really. I mean, Western Kentucky's coming up, but there's no really gimmies for us for the rest of the season. So yeah, let's mix it up. Let's run some fun plays and let's get some guys in motion and let's make this offense do what it's supposed to do with the athletes we have. Like you're recruiting these crazy athletes, you're making them kind of still stuck in this kind of conservative offense when they like should be able to run it wide open. Well, and that's another thing from this game that was frustrating. And part of this was because of the game and part of it was because Alabama's defense is just good, but Burke's only getting one catch is not, you're not going to win any football games that way because he is far and away the best athlete on the field. Whenever we play on offense and him getting only one catch, you're, not going to win many football games that way. Yeah. I don't think we even targeted him that many times. I'm not sure. I didn't check. I don't think he had that many even looks his way, which again, Alabama's secondary, always good, but Traylon Burks is your best athlete besides me, Rakeem Boyd. And you get him the ball one time, not going to end well. Well, and likewise with CJ O'Grady, I felt like we targeted him very late into the game and he's been our biggest playmaker <laughs> Dragging people into the end zone for touchdowns. And I just, I, there was some lack of focus on certain players that I feel like you need to play well if you're going to be competitive against Alabama. Yeah. And we got, yeah, Grady was targeted later in the game and, you know, four catches for 13 yards, pretty brutal for him. And like he's usually one of our more, athletic kind of downfield threats and we didn't again we didn't really throw the ball downfield we got a little skittish after those interceptions which i get but yeah just not a great game overall receiving wise uh for the guys with that we are going to take a quick break coming up though we have much more football conversation on the way including a quarterback quagmire and the future of one Chadwick Morris when we come back. And we are back to discuss more football. Football. We ran a poll today asking you guys who should start at quarterback for the Arkansas Razorbacks. Now, the majority of you think John Stephen Jones should be the starter, which, after watching him play, I think, quite frankly, I agree with. But that said, Chad Morris, 
may not necessarily agree with me. They may not agree with our polls and the, the results from said polls. Here's the deal. The quarterback position, the University of Arkansas this year, has been incredibly frustrating. It's rotated mostly between Ben Hicks and Nick Starkle, and they've both been very up and down. There have been games when Starkle has come in relief of Hicks and lit the lit the world aflame and looked awesome and was like, this is our guy, and then he played poorly, and Ben Hicks came in and like started tearing it up, and I was like, well, maybe we didn't give Hicks another chance, and then we throw John Stephen Jones into the mix against Bama, and he plays well but gets yanked for whatever reason. So now it just feels like who are we starting and why are we starting them? That is what I want to know. Again, you made a very good point of it's easy for me to sit on my couch and watch these games and be like, well, John Stephen Jones should be the quarterback because of X, Y, and Z, but I'm not in practice every day. I'm not running the drills. Maybe John Stephen Jones looks terrible in practice. Maybe he can't make his reads and can't throw a shallow cross to save his life. I don't know. I'm not there. But from what I've seen in games, he's the most athletic person and has looked good and poised. Now, you could say that for both Starkle and Hicks for stretches of the season, but overall, I you know, I don't I'm at a loss and I think it feels like this coaching staff is at a loss of what to do here and it's kind of seeing what sticks and I don't think that's going to do well throughout the rest of the season. Tucker Partridge, your thoughts. <laughs> I think it's going to be telling what happens in this next four games because the next four games obviously will have the opportunity to involve some of the younger quarterbacks because in the new red shirt rule you get to play four games and still retain your red shirt status i think at this point you're gonna have to make some harsh decisions but i'm sorry that's the way football is ben hicks ain't playing in the nfl and he's gone after this year so you probably don't need to start him anymore Starkle has played a lot this year and has struggled a lot this year. So I'm not sold on him being the starter, even though we get him for one more year next year. At this point, I don't see why you don't give John Stephen Jones or KJ Jefferson the start because they can still retain that red shirt status. Right. I, I didn't think a lot of people were saying that KJ should have started against Alabama or come in against Alabama. I think throwing your guy to the wolves and burning his red shirt that way is not the right solution. We talked about this in the last podcast. But when you see John Stephen Jones come in and move the ball, what do we have to lose? Yeah. It's not like we're going to be bowl eligible at the end of the season. We're not like risking our like bowl chances here. Like we're out. There's no way, you know, and. What what why not give the young guys who are going to be the future of this team who are going to be you know who you're building around for the next get them reps get them get them some reps in some SEC games and I think too an next you know besides LSU at Death Valley I mean Mississippi State at home Western Kentucky at home uh, LSU Mizzou and Little Rock Mizzou and Little Rock like these are games that you can put those guys in and they have potential to succeed and do well and I think if it would at least be a friendly environment. Yeah, at the very least, you have, you know, these are home games with supportive fans, especially down in Little Rock, you know? So, yeah, I think it's time to get these guys some reps because we're not burning a red shirt. We, we're we playing for pride. We want to get Chad Morris an SEC win, I think. And, you know, we want to have more than two wins on the schedule at the end of the, at the, end of the season. So 
I think if these young athletic guys are your ticket to that, why not? Like, what's the point of keeping them on the bench? Do it's like, does it really matter? Like, yeah, I get there's injury concerns, but that's just football. Like, if you're going to play quarterback in the SEC, no matter who you start, there's an injury concern because they could get hurt. So if that's what's holding you back, then I don't think that's an issue. Like, I get, like, not wanting to throw KJ or JSJ to the Wolves of Alabama or LSU, but Western Kentucky, Missouri, or Mississippi State, let's go, baby. I want to see these guys. Well, and considering that we see true freshmen starting all the time and but, succeeding, yeah, it's not unprecedented. At all. There's a precedent for freshman quarterbacks coming in and succeeding. And there is a precedent for quarterbacks who maybe don't turn it on in practice, but maybe have this X factor in games. I'm reminded of former Arkansas great quarterback Matt Jones coming in. He wasn't very touted coming into his first game, but when he came in, he busted off a long run and the legend of Matt Jones was born. It some guys just turn on in the game, and we won't know that because they're not playing. Yeah, and that's it's for again, like it is easy to be. You know, we said it. I think episode one or two, but the most popular on the guys to back up quarterback. Well, in Arkansas, it's not anymore because our two main guys are not impressing. So I want to see. Yeah, I saw John Stephen Jones in glimpses, and he was fun and good. And I mean, obviously, KJ's got a lot of hype because he's a freak athlete, and I want to see that. I want to see that, and I want to see it sooner rather than later because if you're holding off for, like, next year where you fit them into, like, a scheme, that's assuming you're going to be coaching here. And, again, I'm not calling for anyone to be fired, but that's, at this point, kind of a bold assumption to just assume that this is your job. So if you're holding off to be the guys, you know, we'll get them in next year and we'll work with them around my scheme, well, that would involve your scheme being employed at the university. So... Give them the reps, and and I, I'm I, we talked. I was I don't think I'm hypocritical. Of, I know I said it like maybe we don't put KG in, but that was just out of fear, like he doesn't need to play against Auburn and Alabama, and we don't need to burn his red shirt. But now, like we said, you have nothing, to nothing lose. to lose, and potentially everything to gain. Yeah, if it turns out they're awesome, great. You got your quarterback for the rest of the season. He gets some reps in and feels more confident going into next year, and it's just all it's positive, you know. So yeah, let's let's get these guys going. Um, I think that segues nicely. We're going to do a little good cop, bad cop counterpoint style argument here. And that main argument here is should Chad Morris be fired? Now, this is a very hot subject between Arkansas fans and kind of in national media when it covers college football, because obviously Arkansas while not as prominent as we once were, is a prominent program, is a known entity within college football, uh, and is one of the like premier college programs historically. And so when Arkansas is bad, people take notice and discuss it, regardless of whether they're in Arkansas or if they cover the SEC or not. It's just going to happen. So we've kind of divvied up should the Chad Morris fire discussion into two camps of yes and no, obviously. So Tucker got the unlucky draw of all the reasons <laughs> Chad shouldn't be fired. Although, to be fair, Tucker did admit that he had a change of heart and thinks Chad Moore should be given one more year, which is where this idea came from. Because I, while usually I'm down to give people the benefit of the doubt, am just at my ropes in with this guy. Uh, and so I want to hear your case because I was actually pretty surprised when you admitted to me that you are 
pro giving Chad another year because it felt like in our discussion watching the games over the past couple of weeks that you were kind of on the same page as me. But so make the case to me and the listeners out there who are calling for Chad's firing because I think it's not a, if not a majority yet, it, the voices are numerous and they are growing. Yeah, no, I don't envy myself for having to do this, but I, it's a tough situation because all of the signs probably should point to firing him. But as for this season, I think that the jury is still out a little bit, and I'll explain on that some. I think that three of the upcoming four games are winnable, and that will ultimately decide whether he stays or not. I don't want to be making predictions, you know, on whether or not he's going to be fired or not based on the fact that we've still got a fourth of the season left to play. But I was thinking today of the athletes that he brought in. He brought in Trey Knox. He brought in Traylon Burks. Like, these are the guys that have made us work this year. Like, those are the guys who have been shining stars on offense. Now, Burks was from Arkansas, so I guess you could argue that any Arkansas coach could bring him to Arkansas. He was probably going to be a Razorback no matter what. We're just lucky that a great athlete was born in Arkansas. But Trey Knox was born in Tennessee, and he went and got it. And there we had the highest-ranked recruiting class in Arkansas history, I believe. And we're seeing the dividends of these players playing well. There's only been one year of that. And I understand that we're losing guys in decommitments, but I looked at those numbers and we had more guys decommit last year than we had decommit this year. And we didn't have an uncom we don't have an uncommon number of decommits this year as compared to everybody in the SEC. Alabama has a bunch of decommits. High school kids are high school kids, and they're going to commit and decommit because making decisions at the age of 18 is hard. And you're making one that's impacting your future in a very, very big way. And so I got to thinking about that, thinking this guy can bring in athletes, and then realized, well, what is he starting with? When he started in Texas, he is one of the best Texas high school football coaches ever in a state that is more competitive than probably any other state. He posted a 169 and 38 record at Lake Travis High in Texas. That's an 81% winning percentage. That's good. And so when he got named offensive coordinator at Tulsa for that, he started doing well there. Well, then he moves to Clemson. And a good coach like Dabo Swinney is constantly singing his praises. Still, Chad Morris is the offensive coordinator who turned us around. He got us going. Well, Clemson saw that in their win-loss record. It took a little bit, but it got him going. Then he goes to SMU to be a head coach. SMU had nothing left, talent-wise. June Jones had stopped recruiting And it was basically like they had gotten the death penalty part two. He comes in and starts turning it around. 
and they have a winning record in their last year. Now they're undefeated and are the talk of college football. Those are Chad Morris's athletes that are undefeated right now. Now, I'm not taking away from the coaching job that's been done there because obviously that's been extraordinary, but I have a hard time believing that two and 10 is the best this guy can do. I just have a hard time believing that. Yeah. So I started thinking what happens if we do fire him? If we do fire him, that means that we're immediately pulling the plug and detonating this recruiting class because we're probably hiring a coach with a different system. That means he's going to have to go get all of his guys. Well, then we're rebuilding again and we get stuck in this cycle. I do think that there need to be changes. Like I'm not sure that Chavis or Craddock need to come back, but I almost want to give one more recruiting cycle because at the end of the day, I think it's athletes that win you games more than offensive game plan. These are all very good points, uh, honestly. And I don't think that 2-10 and ten is the best that this guy can do either. And I think that you make several good points of this guy's history points to a, a proven winner. Uh, and I know it's frustrating to see that history and then kind of look at what's happening at Arkansas and look at four wins over two seasons versus, you know, 20 losses or 20 projected losses. So I, I get that. And I, I'm, I don't have too much more to say on the Chad Morris should be fired trend than what we've already seen of. It just seems like this coaching staff, which I will not put all on chat, but these are his guys. These are who he, he brought in. Don't seem to know how to get these guys to close and finish a game. And Chad Morris seems to be unable to commit to a quarterback which is frustrating and leads to this sort of like cycle that we've seen happen over and over with Arkansas football. We know that we're not great when we run two quarterbacks. Like it's just not in our, in our system, unless we had like two Deshaun Watsons or something. And that's, we don't have that. We've got guys like Nick Starkle and Ben Hicks and John Stephen Jones. And I think we need to focus on figuring out who our guy is. And it seems like he can't do that. I think another thing too, we'll discuss a little bit more here in a second, but his press conferences, and we discussed this, but fan apathy is huge right now. There is not a lot of love or excitement or anything really around the Arkansas football program. I will be interested to see what homecoming is like against Mississippi State. I'm really interested to see what that turnout is like and what goes on there. But this team and this coaching staff, while recruiting very good athletes and having some flashes on the field, has killed the passion for Arkansas football for a large number of people. And that is deadly. We've talked about that a lot and I don't want to harp on it too much, but even when Brett was struggling, I don't think there was this much apathy. I don't think there was this much just blase, blase fair attitude up towards our football program and looking forward to baseball in November. You know what I mean? Like people always like baseball cause we're good, but, and now it feels like I can't wait for baseball season is no longer an ironic, like, Oh, we're a baseball school thing. It's like genuinely, please give me something I can believe in because I am sick and tired of seeing my team get just molly on any channel. They happen to be on this week. I also think too, what he is struggling with is just an identity because he promised this weird, you know, fun 
offense of left lane hammer down, and that has not been what has been delivered to us by any stretch of the imagination. Now, whether that's execution in practice or whether that's execution in the game, that's a whole other conversation. But I feel like he came in with big promises, and I get coaches have to do that. But in year two, you got to be living up to some of that. You got to be showing me something that proves that I believe I can believe in what you, you sold me because I don't feel like I can do that. Uh, and you know, a lot of analysts, I think Greg, Greg McEnroe, not Greg McEnroe, Greg, uh, what's his name? The old Alabama quarterback. McElroy. Greg McElroy loves to talk about how he's seen market improvement in Arkansas's offense. Anytime they he is Arkansas's biggest Arkansas's fan. Bi- it's in, from Arkansas. insane. And I, you know, more power to him, but I, I don't see it. I don't see. I mean, I see. I see better athletes on the field, but I watched this team that I watched last year, and I watched that same team this year, even with his new crop of recruits play. I don't see that much of a difference. Uh, and granted, we can get granular and look at stats and advanced info and stats and all the great stuff that Adam Ford does for us. But just on an eye test level, we look the exact same, and maybe even a little worse at times. Where I'm just like this, nothing has changed, and if I get this is his first season with his guys, and the point that I will concede to you most is I want to see Chad with his guys in year two and have the first recruiting class that he had and another recruiting class that he has this year and get to play with his guys. But just on an eye test level, I'm not seeing it, and it's frustrating and it's just boring, annoying three and out pick six football. And so I understand the heat that's on his chair. And if he were to be fired, I understand that it wouldn't put us in a great position, but I do not think I would be upset. No. And I want to make clear that he's not absolved of all of the wrongs that have happened. He lost to San Jose state (laughs) and he hasn't won a power five game. Those are bad. Like that's bad. And he hired Craddock and he hired Chavis. So that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it there are issues. Yeah. What I guess I'm arguing is let's let him finish this season before we fire him <laughs> and A see what happens. Because if we lose to Western Kentucky, I think he's gone. And I think rightfully so. Yeah. But if we win that game and God willing that KJ or John Stephen Jones come in and do well. I just think maybe he needs a little more time and I'm willing to be a little more patient. Yeah. And I think, I think a win like that or just some flashes from either of those guys makes that argument. And I think if you could, I think honestly, if you just get a couple sec wins, you could placate a lot of people. If you just, I don't think that, yeah, I don't think Arkansas fans are unreasonable. No, I think that it will take very little to get us going Okay, there's something there. Yeah, I mean, a win against State here for homecoming, a win against Missouri for the state line or battle line rivalry down in Little Rock. Just any presented by shelter. Presented by shelter insurance. Shout out shelter. Thank you so much. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, just a couple wins, man. Like I agree, Arkansas fans are not being unreasonable here. That I get that there are other numbers in college football besides their record, but the record's the biggest one, and you know that as a coach. And if you can't give me more than two wins a season, then that's something that you're going to have to figure out and that you're going to have to suffer the ramifications of. Um, and I think this weekend, this weekend to me, I think is the most interesting thing. And I'll tell you why, because it's homecoming, which is a built in crowd. 
because you got yeah. students are 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 pumped because homecoming is always a really fun weekend. You got alumni coming in. You got boosters, parents. parents. This is a huge week. Also, for we got three pretty big official visits. We got two big guys out of Tennessee, and I think a guy coming over from Alabama. This is a big game on just a couple different levels for Chad. And Chad, to his credit, or maybe his demise, in this week's <laughs> in this week's press conference, said, "quote We are going to win a football game this week," which. At this point, I will take because I am sick of his word stew that he was giving us after every loss. I like a yeah, little. I think fire. this was better than the usual. I like a little fire from Chad. That's nice. I, granted, it might backfire and blow up in his face if we lose by two touchdowns or something. But I, I like that he is. He believes in this team. And like I said, I think this weekend is a real litmus test because it should be an easy win. We're at home. Mississippi State has looked vulnerable on several occasions. They're not the world beaters on defense they used to be. You have a built-in audience that is stoked already uh, when a season that's already kind of garnered apathy. You have a built-in kind of fired-up kind of crowd, and you got three big recruits visiting on official visits. So this weekend, I think, is kind of Chad's make or break. Like Western Kentucky, we can talk about because that's a, uh, hopefully a win. But I think, to me, this one on the schedule for the rest of the season is kind of what will make or break Chad. This is a very important game for him. So yeah, I I, I want to win for the Hogs. I'm looking forward to to watching that game. And fortunately, I'm not going to be able to make it back to Fayetteville for homecoming this year. Hopefully, going to do it next year. But I will be absolutely be watching and and looking forward to just seeing. God, I just I don't want to sound desperate, but I, but I want to see my team win. It's been, I want them to win. It's, so it's bad. been so long since I have felt excitement about the football team, and I just want to I want to feel that feeling for our players. Like not as for me as a fan, great, but I want our guys to have a win and be something to be happy and proud of and just be able to go out after a game and just celebrate on Dixon for homecoming weekend and just like have fun because they won a football game. I agree. Um, that kind of, I guess, segues us into one last little conversation about a former Arkansas football coach, one Brett Bielema. Bert, baby. He's been in the news a little bit lately. Uh, yeah, if you guys don't know, if you don't keep up, I which I assume you do, you live in Arkansas, or you're a Hog fan abroad or somewhere else in the country, but just filling you in, Arkansas has stopped paying Brett Bielema his weekly buyout checks. Uh, now, for the record, Brett's weekly buyout check coming from the University of Arkansas was $320,000, excuse me, $320,000, $833,000.33. He made that weekly because his buyout was for $11,935,000. Now, Arkansas stopped paying Brett that money because he was supposed to be, in good faith, seeking employment opportunities that would offset that buyout figure so maybe they wouldn't have to pay the full thing. Brett Bielema got hired by the New England Patriots. However, it's more on a volunteer basis. And when he got his official check for coaching the defensive line at the for the New England Patriots, he was getting paid roughly fifty grand a year, which is what I make. I should like I'm not that's not even a brag. It's just saying like if you are Brett Bielema and you are coaching like the defensive line in the, in the NFL and you're making fifty for the best defense the, in the NFL, like for the best defense in the NFL, uh, <laughs> you're clearly doing it to keep getting buyout checks. And so Arkansas found this out, and the Razorback Foundation. Uh, which is the organization organization that's charged 
uh, was sending Bielema those buyout payments. They f- they found out about that low salary, uh, and they stopped sending the checks back in May. Brett has since moved on from the Patriots. I don't I don't I don't know if he's actively in. No, he's still there. Is he still there? Yeah. Oh wow, I thought he had moved on. Uh, the if you recall the Michael Bennett trade to the Cowboys, that was because of a dust up with Brett. With Brett, that's right. Oh, big surprise! Brett making some player unhappy. Uh, <laughs> Every level, he's he's certainly a professional at that. So that that's been happening, and, and it's clearly the what's going to come is going to be a legal brouhaha. There's going to be legal action taken, obviously by Brett. But it makes you wonder if maybe the Arkansas boosters and maybe the Razorback Foundation is saving up money for another buyout. It makes you think, uh, who would that be who, for? Who could that possibly be? Uh, if these by stopping these payments. Arkansas, according to our friend Wally Hall of Whole Hog Sports. Friend of the show. Friend of the show, Wally Hall. I'll say the Razorbacks more than $7 million, which is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, all things considered, uh, with the team struggling and playing the way they're playing right now, $7 million is not something to sneeze at. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, do you have- if the Razorbacks want to pay me $7 million to not coach them, I will gladly accept. I would probably do a great job of not coaching the Razorbacks. I already do a great job regularly. I just would love to be paid for it. Uh, do you have any Do you have any fun Brett Bielema memories from your time in Fayetteville? I recall one night I was at Herman's with my family after a Razorback win. I'm trying to recall which one. It must have been a garbage game, like one of the early ones yeah. in the season because we'd had a pretty big win. And I was at Herman's, Fayetteville staple, getting a I think I was eating ribs that night wow and Brett and Jen walked in and it was literally like royalty from <laughs> another country had like walked in because the whole place stopped like you could hear a, like forks clattering on the plates because it stopped and everybody started clapping <laughs> And it was just one of the things where if you take it out of the context of college football, what a weird thing That's to so have weird. Happen. If you put Brett Bielema anywhere else and he walked into a building, no one's stopping doing what they're doing. There's like, hey, another guy is in the building now. Cool. Oh, I, get, but it was I guess his wife's Brett's here. His wife's here, too. That's cool. She's like pretty hot, I guess. Like that. So I remember I think that was my favorite thing about just the idea that Brett had outkicked the coverage so aggressively on his marriage, which was so funny to me. But Brett used to come. I used to work at a place in Fayetteville called Deluxe Burger uh, back on Dixon Street, which was right next to Chipotle in between our Segas. I think it is now closed. RIP Deluxe. It's deceased. Uh, but Deluxe. I was a Deluxe Burger server during my time as a Razorback. And Brett and his coaching staff would pretty regularly come eat there. Um, I guess the Razorback Athletic uh, Razorback Athletics has a pretty good relationship with Scott Bowman, who is Bowman's restaurant group. He started Deluxe. He also is the owner of Fayette, uh, Fayetteville's very famous Theo's and uh, Eastside Bar and Grill. Just a lot of like, but you know, just very close with a lot of guys in the athletic department. So Brett and this coaching staff would come and and have a lot of meetings and would sometimes bring guys that were on visits. But every time Brett would always recommend whatever to order for everyone that was new. There's like, Oh, you should get this and this or whatever. But every, every time Brett came, he would order a milkshake and he would always order 
a strawberry milkshake, but he would order it very weird. He would order a half strawberry, half vanilla milkshake, which is just a strawberry milkshake. <laughs> because, Bro, you got to get the ratio right. It's Here's the thing. The way that the milkshake was made was you just took vanilla ice cream and then added a strawberry syrup. So it was already half... <laughs> It was already half and half. It wasn't like, oh, we got strawberry ice cream and vanilla ice cream, and I'll like make you a perfect layer of like split down the middle, and you can have half and half. Like it's just vanilla ice cream with strawberry syrup, and that's how most strawberry milkshakes are made. Like, I mean, granted, some people will have strawberry ice cream, which is great, but for the most part, you're getting vanilla ice cream and a strawberry syrup with maybe some actual strawberries thrown in there as well. So I, I tried for some dumb reason one day. It was like 3 p.m. on like a Tuesday, and they were just hanging out, and I was bored. And the coach was in there and he asked for a strawberry milkshake, half strawberry, half vanilla. And I was like, that's just a, like, I was just, hey, coach, just so you know, like, that's just strawberry milkshake. Like, you can just order it that way from now on. Because I tried to explain exactly what I just explained to you about the half and half thing. He looked at me and was like, son, I want you to bring me a milkshake that's half strawberry and half vanilla. I don't want to hear anything else about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you got it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that was like the third time uh, that he had come into the restaurant. And then like every other time that he came in, he like asked for me, uh, which I thought was really cool. And he, I will say this for Brett, great tipper. Uh, he always ran up a big bill, but he always tipped accordingly. So uh, I will make fun of you for your milkshake preference, Brett, but I will say I respect you. We're not a cheapskate because it'd be easy for you to, to duck out on a tip, but you, uh, you didn't. So if you're listening to this by some chance, which he is. Thank you, Brett. Uh, you got me through college. I think that does it for today. Yeah, we ran a little long, but a lot of lot to discuss. A lot of stuff going on in in Arkansas athletics, and we want to make sure that we're thorough, and we want to make sure we give you as a fair shake at covering, you know, everything that's going on that we th- we think is important, and we try not to miss too much stuff. But if there's something we miss, please let us know. Please reach out to us and give us suggestions. This is a podcast by fans for fans. So we want to cater it to you guys as much as we possibly can. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening all the way through. We are seeing an increase in our downloads, and it's really exciting to see this become kind of part of the Arkansas sports community. That's not possible without you guys. So once again, thank you very much. Be sure to subscribe to our Fan Pulse poll. That will actually start polling basketball soon. Yeah, baby. So be on the lookout for that. Go Hogs in that way. Please subscribe to us, download us, rate us on your podcast platform of choice. And as always, follow us on Twitter at Arkansas Fight, where you can keep up with all of our sad and depressed and hopefully funny interactions with the people. But hey. It's Arkansas fandom, so it's never going to be easy. Yeah, I will say this for Twitter. I'm going to plug us. We are getting kind of close to 10,000 followers, uh, which would be great. Looks really good. A lot of the SB Nation and other blogs are have pretty big followings, and we're kind of getting up there with them, which is really cool and really exciting. Uh, the last few games especially, I think you guys have been really good at interacting with us. So if you don't follow us on Twitter or if you got friends that don't, give us a follow. We're really fun. We like to have a good time. We take Arkansas sports. Uh, very seriously, but we don't take ourselves that seriously, so it's a good mix. So give us a follow on Twitter. We're, it's kind of where we, we do a lot of our work, too. We tweet out a lot of our articles, and we do a lot of cool stuff on there. With that said, 
This has been Wu Sui. See you guys next time. Wu Pig. We got, we got the blue right here. Number five. You better look at him a little closer. He's a football player. It's Arkansas, baby.